welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC, flying this ship solo this week as Ben Max could not make it here for this episode. By now you're familiar with us, but a friendly reminder to check out our work on the web at GothamGazette.com and CBCNY.org. Reach us directly with your reaction to the show and ideas for future episodes on Twitter at Maria Dulles and at TweetBenMax. We have a very timely topic for you today. Governor Andrew Cuomo released the New York State Executive Budget for fiscal year 2018-2019 on Tuesday of this week. Dave Friedfeld, CBC's Director of State Studies, is here with us today to unpack the box and give us all the details. Hi, Dave. Hey, Maria. Our data point is $168.2 billion, the total size of the executive budget for fiscal year 2019. Where do those state dollars go? Almost 40% or $66 billion are for local assistance, mostly school aid and Medicaid. 17% or $28 billion fund state operations, and $20 billion is for debt and capital projects. Federal operating aid makes up the balance, about one-third, or $53.7 billion. As the governor acknowledged, the context for this budget is different from past years. He called it, quote, challenging. The state was facing a $4.4 billion gap, and federal and tax policy changes will have big impacts on the state's finances, especially in the long term. Dave is here to tell us how the governor closed this gap, what's happening to spending on major items like school aid and Medicaid, and what proposals are being offered to deal with two topics on everyone's minds, the MTA and the elimination of the state and local tax deduction, or as it's commonly referred to, SALT. Let's get to it. Dave, let's start with the big picture. How would you characterize this budget? kind of the, the overarching theme that's, that's starting to emerge to us is that it's a, uh, a lot of short-term solutions for long-term problems. And that, by that, I mean uh, there's a lot of kind of spin-ups of revenue or, or things done to kind of uh, give the state a little leg up this year. Um, but they're not really addressing the long-term issues with the state's budget, which is that revenues just aren't really keeping up with uh, expenses. And that's been a perennial problem for a long time. It has. And, and when you look at state budgets going back almost every year that the financial plan comes out, the out years show budget gaps. So there's kind of an acknowledgement that there's a hole in the out years, things are need to be filled. And some of that is from conservative budgeting, making sure that, you know, you're, you're forecasting kind of some worst case scenarios or at least kind of a bad case scenario, maybe not worst case. Um, but, but still, you should be closer to, uh, to in line. So something that could also impact the state over the long term is the impact of the federal tax law. Um, And everybody's still unpacking this to see what it means, but the governor has flagged it as an issue, and he's got a threefold strategy, right? Sue, repeal and replace, advocacy, and then react. So he spent a considerable amount of time during his budget presentation talking about how the state would rework the tax system. Break it down for us and tell us what he said. So the, the governor's speeches have had a kind of a, a lot of fire and brimstone, but but from a policy perspective, he's actually been much more measured, which is good. Um, so the state tax and finance department, um, which he controls, issued a report yesterday afternoon that goes through some of the potential changes to the state tax system in order to counter the, the cap in state and local tax deductions. So in the report, they outline how the state could adopt a single approach or a combination of approaches. And, and I'll list them out and then kind of go through them real quickly. Um, so the, the three approaches are to allow contributions to charitable organizations that the state would set up in lieu of state and local taxes, so you can get a tax credit, um, and then a payroll tax, um, which they're calling an employer compensation expense tax, which would kind of offset the uh, personal income tax, and then creating an unincorporated business tax. Um, so kind of going through those three in a little more detail, 
uh, for the charitable contribution, the idea would be that the state would probably set up kind of buckets. Um, perhaps local governments could do the same, where you could donate to health or uh, education, and then you would make those kinds of donations, and instead of it counting as your state and local taxes, it would count as a charitable contribution, which are still deductible at the federal level, and then you'd get a credit against your state taxes. You wouldn't actually be paying the state. You'd be making a charitable contribution to a state-run organization. And there's some issues there with timing, um, and it might be better geared towards things like capital gains income or property taxes as opposed to kind of general uh, personal income taxes that, that are based on wages. Then there's a the payroll tax, and this is uh, kind of the thing that's gotten the most attention. And, and the general idea here is that the employer would have a payroll tax levied against them by the state, which they would pay to the state, and then they would be able to deduct that from the, their federal taxes as a business expense. But then the employee's wages would be decreased in kind of an amount equal to that tax, and there would be no state personal income tax. So their take-home pay is the same in aggregate, but uh, essentially their, their employer will be paying their state personal income tax on their behalf. Um, and then you run into issues, whether it be flat tax or progressive, and it's kind of hard to align some of those things, and there'd be a lot of challenges there. Um, but again, the governor, governor's office and the state tax department put out this report, so people kind of have an idea of, of what the proposals look like and some of the issues which again is, is, is probably the, the best approach as opposed to coming out of the gate with a policy proposal and trying to get it done in this year's budget. I think this is, this is, this is a much more responsible way to go about it. Um, and then the last thing was creating an unincorporated business tax. This is actually something the city of New York currently imposes. Um, and this would help people with a lot of partnership income where income flows from the partnership to the individual. Right now that gets paid under the state's personal income tax. If there was an unincorporated business tax, they would pay it at that level, and then uh, they'd get the benefit of that deduction before it turned into personal income. Um, so th we think that the, the report does a pretty good job outlining those things, um, as well as changes that the state may need to make because of other federal changes that, that haven't gotten quite as much attention. Things like the, uh, the child tax credit, the state's credit is directly linked on what you would get at the federal level, so the feds increase that, so the state either is going to cost the money or they're going to make an adjustment, and that's actually one of the uh, proposals included in the state budget. So it's kind of a dynamic policy environment now because, you know, the federal government has to implement the tax bill, clarify, issue the rules, issue legal guidance on some of these things, um, and so the state response has to kind of adapt um, as the details are being spelled out, and also whatever is uh, put in place, the changes that are being proposed at the state level, whatever is ultimately adopted, will also rely on employers and individuals to voluntarily change their behavior and be aware of how they can use the new rule or the new um, the framework to benefit themselves. Exactly. And it's, it's, a, it's a very complex area of law. I mean, tax law is, is very complex. And there's a reason why tax lawyers and accountants make as much money as they do. So they're kind of working through things slowly. And it's part of the reason why we put together a special committee just to focus on this, because um, there's there's a lot of issues to address. And, and you have issues of whether the state as a whole will be made kind of in the same uh, so that they're not impacted versus individual taxpayers making sure that each individual one um, kind of doesn't doesn't get hurt by the cap on the state and local tax deductions. And that's kind of the, the balance that's that's going to be challenging to strike. Right. So so it's a very fluid environment. And that's one of the reasons, as they've said, CBC has established the special committee of um, experts and um, academics who will evaluate these impacts and um, and discuss the options that are being put forth for the most appropriate response to keep New York competitive, or at least to limit uh, the disadvantages for the state and the city uh, coming from this tax bill. 
Um, but, you know, unpacking this is going to take a long time. And some of the, you know, the more pronounced impacts are maybe long term. Right. And in many, you know, so it's important to think about governor deserves kudos for, you know, setting down the marker, starting the conversation, taking this, you know, approaching this very um, deliberately. Um, But this is a budget. A budget is a short term uh, concern in many ways. And the state had the very immediate need to close a four point four billion dollar budget gap. Um, so typically budget gaps are closed through a mix of revenue raisers and expenditure cuts. Um, and so what did the governor propose here? Well, as you said, revenue raisers and expenditure cuts, it's kind of the, the, the mix. And there's, there's really two main stories though, where the, the revenue side and the spending side have kind of very different tales to tell. Um, so on the revenue side, there are a number of conserving revenue raisers, um, for, for the next fiscal year, the executive is relying on $750 million from health insurance companies converting from nonprofit to for-profit status. So when or if, and the if is the, is the concerning part, uh, this happens, the state's still going to take a big chunk of those profits. Uh, governor's also proposing to delay certain business tax credits. This is essentially telling companies who would claim more than $2 million in tax credits that if they're that they're going to have to wait up to three years to fully get those credits. And these can be investment tax credits, some economic development credits. Um, and, and the big concern there is that you're really just delaying paying the bill. You're not saying they're no longer eligible or that these are bad programs. You're saying, um, oh, no, you'll get your money. You're just going to wait, and you're going to have to get it later when there might be even a bigger budget gap to fill. Um, and, and in general, people should get their you know their tax credits when, when they're claimed. And then on the spending side, the governor cut uh, about $2.6 billion worth of spending. And uh, about $1.3 billion is from local assistance, about 500 of that um, being education. And I should say, when I say cut, um, it's it's a cut from what the financial plan said before for 2019. Right. It's, so that's a very important point to make there. Let's stick a pin in it, right? Which is budget projects growth. Mm-hmm. These areas are still growing. They will just not be growing as much as had been projected. Exactly. So when I say... I said before education was cut by 533 million. I should have pointed out it's still growing by three percent, um, almost 800 million dollars. It's just not growing by quite as much as the financial plan had had previously said. And then there's another um, 736 million dollars where they kind of pulled revenue in from other sources, uh, mostly that being uh, monetary settlements, which is something that I think we've talked about before. Basically, the state um, has sued private entities for a variety of, of malfeasance, and they get these big chunks of money in, and the state's now using $800 million of that to uh, to kind of fill the state's uh, the state's gap, which is concerning because you know that those are one-time revenues and they should be used for one-time expenses, and that's not exactly what's going on here. So he's got, you know, a pretty healthy amount in terms of expenditure cuts. Um, that is both freezing state operations and agencies. It is trimming off some of the growth on the big items like school aid and Medicaid. And then these revenue raisers, you know, some of them are a little dubious. Um, some are just one shot. So you, next year you're going to have to come up with a whole new spate of stuff to be able to to fill your, your budget gaps. But nevertheless, the sort of math works. And as the governor said, um, it gets you to 2% growth. Or does it, ah, right? So the in the question. past, you uh, have written that, you know, the, the governor is very proud of saying that he's kept the budget growth to 2%, but in recent years is sort of finagling a little bit with the accounting uh, that actually means that budget has been growing a little bigger. So have you yes. discovered anything like that this year? Um, we, and we tell have. people what the kind of things are that um, 
movie lovers here. Um, so, so frequently in the past, the governor has done things where uh, kind of paid some bills ahead of time. So some, you know, bill wasn't due till April and he'd pay it in December and it makes the prior year look a little bit higher. It takes some spending out of the current year. Um, those types of things aren't, aren't really a big deal, but it kind of misrepresents what the, the actual spending growth right. is. Right. And we should say here, you know, it's because the state budget is managed on a cash basis. So, yes. you know, how you bring the cash in and how you let the cash goes out has a big, uh, you know, it determines what the budget will show, uh, at the end of the year. Yeah, and, and and the governor has a tremendous amount of control over those things um, and, and has exercised it at, at times to, to make that, that growth look that growth look lower than, than it actually is. Um, but this year, the big thing was the MTA payroll tax. So the MTA payroll tax, currently the state collects it and then gives it to the MTA. And it looks like the state's collecting the revenue and then they're expending this money when they give it to the MTA. The governor is proposing an administrative change where instead the money would get collected and then immediately sent to the MTA where it would never hit the state's books. From an accounting perspective, it's fine. I don't think anybody really has a hard objection to, to the move in general. Um, the issue is that then it makes it look like state operating spending is going down by $1.5 billion when it's really not. Um, the same things are getting spent, the same money is being collected. Um, and that's one of those kind of gimmicks that, that we're keeping an eye out for. There are actually some offsetting um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you call it, a non-gimmick or a counter-gimmick, um, where it's actually going to make it look like state operating spending is increasing in some other areas that, that offsets some of that. But that's kind of the big one, and that's the one that has the by far the biggest impact. So uh, it's still early in the process. The budget's only been out a few days. You, you and your team are still going through it. Do you have a number? If it's not two percent, what's the the true growth rate? I mean, just by just by adding the MTA and some of those offsetting things that that involve uh, of capital. Um, you're talking about an extra billion dollars, so it's an extra full percent right off the bat. And then, you know, as we dig deeper um, and look back at, at some of the other things and, and the impact of things that happened in years past and what those mean, um, it'll it'll probably end up being, you know, over 3% um, is my kind of very back of the envelope two days in. Mm -hmm. um, in the coming weeks, I'm sure we'll do a blog that, uh, that highlights these. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the MTA, um, which I want to get to, but first I think we need to talk about um, what two of the big areas in the state budget, which are Medicaid and school aid. What are the concerns about proposals in these areas or with the spending in these areas more generally? So from our perspective, the, one of the biggest failures of the governor's proposal is that he could have um, and talked about increasing equity in, in this, the, the uh, distribution of school aid, but his, his budget doesn't really do that. Um, so the state's foundation aid is about $17 billion, and that's two-thirds of state education aid. And this is the only thing he really made a change to. And uh, when he when he did it, he talked about increasing equity, but the only well, so what's inequitable about school aid? Good question. Basically, the the biggest issue, um, particularly to foundation aid, is that foundation aid is supposed to be using state resources to make up for a lack of local resources when it comes to funding a, a sound and basic education. It's kind of the reason why foundation aid was created in in the first place. Um, but the current formula, unfortunately actually still sends a lot of money to wealthy districts. There are lots of floors, and, and everyone gets a certain amount um, per kid every year, and it can never go down, even if a district becomes wealthier or has less kids. And that's one of the things that you see. There are many districts that, over the last 10 years, since foundation aid was created, have seen 15 20% declines in enrollment and are still getting at least as much as they got um, in the prior years. And, and in many years, they put in a kind of a, a due minimum where every district gets an increase, regardless of what's actually going on at the district level. Right. So while so the foundation aid is progressive overall, right? If you look at the spread of dollars, it is progressive. But definitely what, is. But what happens is all the bells and whistles on this foundation aid formula um, 
mean that the increment added in each budget, the increase from year to year, is not necessarily progressive. It's not progressively targeted toward the highest needs. District. And it, it certainly doesn't do enough to make it so that the overall aggregation of foundation aid is as progressive as it should be. Um, and, and this isn't necessarily a, a value judgment, but but that you have districts that are getting, let's say, a thousand or two thousand dollars in foundation aid. These are the wealthiest districts in the state, um, but they're spending forty thousand dollars per kid. Meanwhile, the poorer districts, the ones that, that need the most, and and where it's actually more expensive to educate a kid because you have more disabilities and you have um, a higher prevalence of English language learners, they're spending twenty five thousand dollars and they're getting twenty three thousand dollars worth of state aid. So they're getting a lot more state aid. The issue is that um, the localities don't have the resources to spend nearly not nearly close to what the wealthy districts spend, um, but but certainly they would argue they don't have the resources to spend enough to provide that that sound basic education, which is guaranteed by the, the state's constitution. So then, moving on to uh, to Medicaid and health, um, the the biggest concern that 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 I have is whether or not the state will actually realize the insurance company um, conversion revenues that that they're planning on. And that's over four years. They're planning on three billion dollars, which is a, is a lot of money. And if that money doesn't doesn't arrive, then they'll obviously have some issues. But kind of the biggest threat, and this is outside of, of of the proposed budget, is really federal action. So the feds, the federal program Child Health Plus, provides health care to about three hundred thousand New York's kids, and uh, it's not currently authorized at the federal level. So if they don't reauthorize Child Health Plus, it can mean about a billion dollar loss in federal aid for the state. Uh, now, the governor has proposed to add some flexibility in implementing the program to counter that possibility, but it's not enough to make up for a billion-dollar shortfall. And then on top of that, there's the essential health plan, which provides health care to low-income people who are not eligible for Medicaid for whatever reason. Um, some of it is because they have too much income. Some of it's their, their immigration status. And that would cost the state another billion dollars if the federal government doesn't extend the program. And again, the executive has proposed some language to allow DOH some flexibility and to make adjustments for reimbursement rates and things like that. But the question is, will that be enough to really make up for that kind of shortfall? Right. And, I, you know, I think from a budgeting perspective, it is perhaps unreasonable to expect that state and local governments can fully supplant all the dollars that will be lost in any federal policy changes that result in cuts to these programs. I mean, you know, state and local governments can only do so much. Certainly. Um, and, and especially if they're not 100% sure on what's going on, the, the CHIP being the biggest example, I think, because right. most people think that CHIP will get extended. Um, but but most people didn't think it would have taken this long um, or, or been held up as much as it has. And, and it, you know, as of today, it's still not extended. Save the children. Um, so <laughs> let's move on to, to the last two topics we've got on the agenda here. Economic development, right? You know, there, there's been a lot of talk about this. There are these upcoming corruption trials. You had this op-ed saying, hey, you know, this is going to be scintillating in many ways, but keep your eye on the prize. We need to reform the way the state does economic development here in, in general. And CBC has issued a blueprint that provides the, the path for reforming these economic development dollars. Um what is the governor adding to the pot this year? Tell us, does it come with any reform? It does not come with any reform. Big shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, the governor did propose a few things that, that he's proposed before about creating inspector generals and things um, kind of outside of, of what we've really um, suggested as far as providing a, uh, a unified economic development budget so you know exactly what's being spent and and providing a database of deals so that you can see what every business in the state is getting, as well as you know what they've promised and what they've actually delivered. And, and these are things that other states do, and, and it shouldn't be that, that, that big of a lift. As far as what he proposed this year, it's actually a little bit less than years past. 
still more than than probably should be, but it, but it is a little bit less. I mean, has a lot of money kind of hanging back from prior years that hasn't been spent yet that will still be um, going out of the state's coffers. But it proposed a $300 million high-tech innovation and economic development infrastructure program, which it has about as much specifics in the um, appropriation as the title, mm-hmm. meaning that you kind of have a general idea what they're talking about, but but there is no specific project here. There's no specific program. And more importantly, there's nothing that ensures that that money is going to be well spent, mm-hmm. um, which is really the big concern. In the past, a similar, similar named project was used to help shore up some of the uh, the SUNY Poly projects, which ran into trouble. Um, so that's that's certainly a possibility. And then the second piece is a $600 million allocation for a life sciences laboratory uh, in the Capital District, and that um, that would be a combination of some Department of Health offices and I believe some private entities. Again, it's it's a little bit less than uh, than years past. Right. So, you know, economic development programs, we've written extensively about this. The trouble is, you know, they're characterized, and not every program, but a lot of them, by lack of goals, lack mm-hmm. of information, yep. lack of results in many places. And, and in many cases, that's kind of the, almost the most disturbing, is that there's a recent factory with a state allocated, spent $83 million, and then the company just said, no thanks, walked away, and there was no clawback. There was nothing to go back after that company for um, another company agreed to come in for the low, low price of $15 million and create 300 jobs, which would be $50,000 per job in the first year, where even if they stick around for you know, for 10 years, it's $5,000 per job per year. And that's that's crazy. Just on that 15000 you add on the extra $83 million, and you're talking exorbitant amounts of money. All right. So for final topic here, uh, we can't go without saying something on the MTA. So... We know that there is a congestion pricing plan or an impact zone or whatever it will be called. Uh, there are options relating to how that will be structured, that will be presented by a commission or a panel the governor has created that will be announced tomorrow. Mm. Um, but the governor, so that's a big question mark and a big piece of what happens for the, you know at the MTA in the next year. What else is the governor recommending um, in his budget for the MTA? So it's, it's not so much a recommendation as, as he's trying to force New York City to really take on uh, a bigger role in funding the MTA. Um, and, and as you know, as, as we've discussed, New York City residents and their businesses pay 72% of MTA dedicated taxes and subsidies. Much of what the state has claimed to be state subsidies towards the MTA are actually just taxes that the state collects on behalf of the MTA in the MTA region against city residents and, and the people living in the, in the surrounding areas. Um, so that's kind of one of the, the big pushes that, that the governor has uh, proposed. And then the second being to authorize the MTA, which you know the governor controls, to establish transportation improvement districts. Essentially, this is tax increment financing for the benefit of the MTA. And, and while that idea in general, you know, you could have people supportive or, or detractors of the, the mechanism in and of itself, the biggest issue is that New York City has no role in improving that. And that's really where the, the big problem lies. So you, the proposal from the governor is really to shift more expenses onto the city and take responsibility or, or the ability to uh, kind of control what's going on away at the same time. Right. So the creation of the, the transit district would uh, allow the MTA to, quote, value capture some of the rise in pro- uh, property values that would occur, theoretically, from transportation enhancements like an extension of the subway. And so essentially uh, take a portion of the city's property tax or some other revenue source 
without the city approving and sort of saying okay or having or weighing in on what the the level of of that charge could be um problematic for many many reasons um lots more to talk about the budget is huge there's still areas we are looking at um but for now we'll end it there thanks to dave for the download on the state budget if you want to reach out to him he's at dave friedfeld on twitter Check our website at cbcny.org in coming weeks for more in-depth analysis of the MTA proposals, the school aid runs, and more. And our Twitter feed at CBCNY for real-time comment and info. Gotham Gazette will also be providing coverage of the proposals and legislative hearings starting on January 23rd at gothamgazette.com. The state fiscal year begins on April 1st. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. Ben will be back with us next week. Thanks, Dave, for being here. Thank you for listening. Bye.